Good morning, church family. As you know, for the past several weeks, Dr. Kennedy has been speaking from the book of Philippians based on joy. So I invite you to stand as we sing together. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, so the world can't take it away. Let's stand together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to come and be engaged and involved in our time of worship. And I pray, God, that this is, uh, this is a special time. It's a time we look around us, we see the blooming trees and flowers. And Father, we remember your beautiful creation. And at the same time, Father, we come to the realities of evil and its presence in our world as it seems like almost weekly there's some violent action that takes place and where there are victims and victims' families. And Father, confusion, motives that we don't always understand. But we do know that Satan is the prince of this world. But you are the one that gives inner peace. No matter what circumstances, and no matter what things happen. And Father, I pray that our response as followers of Jesus Christ will be one of unconditional love, of compassionate care, of fervent prayer and intercession and God striving to be the lighthouse in the world 
that we don't contribute to confusion, but rather, Father, we, we continue to point people to the truth. And in the spiritual warfare that in reality is taking place, that, God, we will be able to change things, asking you to bring your divine power of true revival and spiritual awakening to this nation, Father, to individual lives. Father, I pray it starts with us. And this morning, as we look at a passage that deals with anxiety and worry, as we prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper, I pray, God, that during this service, through the singing, through the times of prayer and the scripture readings, that, God, we would prepare our hearts. We would let your spirit speak to us directly. Because every one of us are unique. Father, you have a message for each one of us. One of inspiration, one of encouragement, one that gives challenge. And God, I pray that we'll be submissive and obedient to what you desire in our hearts because you want the very best for us. And so as we sing these songs of the faith, and Father, as we rejoice in your name because you are the creator, and as your creation, we sing that to you, and we express it to you. We ask that you would hear us. And God, that every one of us, when we leave this place today, not only be excited, thankful, and grateful, but we'll be mindful that you have left us here to touch this world with your grace and your forgiveness and your love. It's in your son's name that we pray amen if this is your very first time for being here today we'd sure love for you to take the guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out its entirety and just drop it in one of the offering boxes when you leave because we'd like to acknowledge you being with us today so i thank you for that and i thank you for coming today i'd love to to have you sing with every ounce of strength that you have because we're praising the lord today okay miss nancy Rejoice, the Lord is King, and again I say, rejoice. Let's sing.
Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, indeed, you are life. And God, we thank you, Father, for the time that we've had here. We pray that the worship that we extended to you, Father, was pleasing to you, Lord. God, we just now continue on with this worship service and this time that we hear from Pastor Kirby, Lord. And I just pray that you'll bless his words, Father, that you'll give us open hearts and open minds. And Lord, as we also prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, God, we just pray that you'll fill this place with your spirit, Lord. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Sing that chorus again, a cappella.
Our scripture reading for today is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Please follow along on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be not anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of the reading of your word. We ask that these words of life, truth, hope, will continue to impact us in the week ahead, for these are the words of the Lord.
Okay, so that would be the question. Do you have peace? The other question would be, do I have anything on? Okay. All right. I guess I didn't have as much peace right there. The passage that we have this morning is uh, a part of the same passage that I spoke on last Sunday. Last Sunday we we talked about Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9, but today I want to talk about a more specific area, and that is in the area of anxiety and worry. Uh, The reality, the scripture tells us very clearly that we're to have peace. And in this journey that we're on in our Christian life, it is critical that peace takes precedent over everything else. And it's the inner peace I'm talking about. Because if you live in this world, you're not going to to see the peace. You're not going to experience it because of all the things that happen around us. But no matter what, we find that the Apostle Paul helps us to understand that we can have the peace of God in this world. That inner peace of God, no matter what happens to us externally. So if I were to ask you... Is there anybody here that ever deals with anxiety? How many of you would raise your hand? Okay, I see two or three. But I wasn't asking you to raise your hand. Because I think I know the answer. And how about worry? How many of you get worried about things? There's always the ability to have, be concerned about things. But worry has a different connotation. And it's something that, that we deal with. I think worry is a common problem to all of us. And I think that some handle it better than others. An unknown poet wrote this about the worrier. He worried about the weather. He worried about his health. He worried about his business. He worried about his wealth. She worried about the children. She worried about her clothes. She worried about the neighbors. She worried about her woes. They worried about their taxes. They worried about their pets. They worried about their future. They worried about their debts. They worried, still they worried, they worried, but alas, they worried about a lot of things that did not come to pass. And that is actually more true than we realize. We worry about so many things because we're thinking ahead of what might happen and all the different things that could happen about the decisions we make, when in reality, While God wants us to be strategic in our planning and focused and purpose-driven in the things that he wants us to accomplish, he doesn't want us to worry about the future because he has the future in his hand if we'll allow him to. Writing to the Philippian believers, the Apostle Paul had a word for the worrier. He focused on the peace for the journey. First, he addressed and highlighted the problem. In verse 6, he said, do not be anxious about anything. Here, we find that uh, the Apostle Paul, where most of us read that and say that, um, that we're not to be anxious, so it's a command, so let's just not do that. In reality, he's identifying a problem that is going on in the church of Philippi at that time. Epaphroditus had, had shared with him some things, and so there was already some uneasiness, some worry taking place. And we find that he identified a problem that not only was for the Philippian church, but it is for our church today. 
It's a common problem, as we've talked about. He called it anxiety. We can call it worry. Paul recognized that even faithful followers of Jesus Christ still worry. As incompatible with the Christian faith as that may be, the reality is that Christians do worry. And that worry, if it's taken out into the future, all of a sudden it shows our ability to trust God with what the future holds. And yet God says that he has us in his hand. About this problem of worrying, we find that it's common to all. He emphasized two things Paul did. First, he said it's a present problem. He wrote in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That's pretty encompassing, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. So there's not an exception clause here. There's not somebody says, oh, well, that rule, that's for everybody else, but it's not for me. I've seen that on the road, by the way. Have you all seen that? Yeah. The speed limit says this, or don't change lanes here, or do this here. And, and all of a sudden, somebody says, no, nope, that's, that's not a law for me. That's for you. <laughs> I, I know that you haven't done that, though. The Greek scholar Kenneth Weiss said the word anxious means to, it's worry, anxious, care. It's a synonym for worry. The grammatical construction of that word is strong, if you go back to the original language. So the literal translation reads, quit habitually worrying. That paints a different picture, doesn't it? Because if you're habitually worrying about things, that is unhealthy. It's not right for the Christian. It shows that you, you really are not trusting God to help you in those situations. Now, you say, Pastor, wait a second. I, you don't know my dire health conditions. I don't know them. But I know what the Scripture says. And I've experienced some of those things myself where I have had to put that off to the side no matter how dangerous things are. And to say, you know what? I can't control those things, but I can leave it in the Lord's hands. And I can make the plans that I need to make. And I need to move forward with that. He says, quit habitually worrying. Paul's not afraid that they would begin to worry. Because the reality is they were already worrying and they were overwhelmed by that. And that's what Epaphroditus was trying to get across. And it was for a very specific issue that was taking place. And so he exhorted them to stop a thing that was already in progress. So it's not just a principle for us to say, well, we're not supposed to be anxious about anything. We already are. And so we need to figure out how to stop doing that in a constant, ongoing process. Otherwise, we're not going to have the peace that God wants us to have. Does this describe anybody that you know? Is it present? Is it a daily issue for you? Well, only you can tell that. But if it is, then Paul is speaking directly to you and to me. Stop habitually worrying. Not only is it a present problem, but it's also a paralyzing problem. Verse 4 indicates that uh, worry does paralyze the worrier. Twice in this verse, the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, Rejoice. And I will say it again, rejoice. 
And we take that as saying, what an admonition. We need to rejoice. Yes, be joyful. He says it twice. It's emphasized. It's important. The reality is, if they had already been rejoicing, he wouldn't have to tell them to rejoice. And so their joy was diminished. They had fallen into Satan's trap. Worry had overtaken them. It trapped them. And therefore, the joy and the peace was either gone or it was diminished in their lives. And you remember that this was a church that, that the Apostle Paul said was the joy of his life, the love of his life. But they had lost some of that because there was some worry going on. The paralyzing power of worry is further emphasized in the fifth verse where he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. How gentle do you think they were with each other? Well, we would like to say they are very gentle with each other. But why would Paul command gentleness if there was an abundance of it in that church? And so he's addressing an issue, maybe an underlying issue, maybe one that hasn't just exploded like a volcano, but they're simmering underneath the surface. And so he's saying, listen, that quarrelsome spirit that had begun to divide the church that we mentioned last week, where there were two believers who were at odds with each other, most likely on some kind of personal matter, but it was beginning to carry over into the church, and, and people were beginning to pick sides. And it was creating this division in there, and it caused this church to begin to worry, to be concerned, to be anxious. I'm sure the leaders were a bit anxious because they didn't want it to explode and divide the church. I'm sure the people were anxious because both of these individuals were friends of theirs. They didn't want to pick sides. And so there was this anxiety, and evidently there were probably some words said. Because when he comes back and he says, listen, be gentle and may your gentleness be evident to all, means the folks in the congregation and those in the community itself. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to help them understand the reason the joy is no longer ringing in your souls and your hearts, and the reason that you're not as joyful is because you're not treating each other the way that they should be treated. And so Paul is addressing the issues. He's gotten all the information he needed from Epaphroditus, and since he was not going to be able to be there anytime soon, he said, listen, what I want, here are the things that I want you to do to bring back the joy in that fellowship, the peace in the body of Christ and for each individual as well. He said, the Lord is near. I spoke about that last week. Uh, in other words, God's watching everywhere. There's not a thing that he doesn't know, not a thing that he doesn't see. The Lord is near. He's present. Not only is the Lord's <coughs> not only is the Lord's coming near, but He's always in our midst. And he wanted them to understand that. So he said, "Be gentle with one another." So Paul highlights the problem. He says, there is anxiety, there is worry. I want you to stop doing that as a habitual thing. I want you to show gentleness to each other. I want you to rejoice. Please rejoice. In other words, let's move your focus back. 
back into the God who created this fellowship of believers. And then Paul laid out a solution. In verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. No in Scripture will you find a stronger, more comforting word for the warrior than right here in this verse. Paul gave us a several steps which, if followed, will lead us from this lifestyle of worrying to this sense of inner peace and joy. And the key phrase there is, if followed. First, he says that we're to pray about that which worries us. He says we're to pray in everything. Have you ever been with a child or grandchild and they're learning how to pray? And their little prayer just goes on and on about praying for every little thing the peas and the green beans, the meat, the favorite toy that I have, the green grass outside. This is the sense here. It has this sense of everything. He says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what is worrying you, I want you to know you need to go to the Lord with that. Everything that concerns us concerns our Heavenly Father. We are to share those concerns fully with him. We're not to be ashamed of them. Even if they're in the recesses of our brain, we think nobody else knows, and sometimes I don't even know what worries me until it comes to the forefront. But he already knows. And he says, I want you to lay before me the concerns that concern you. Scholar Wiest again wrote that the word translated prayer means to speak prayer as an act of worship. This kind of prayer that he's talking about, pray in everything, it focuses the attention upon a time of worship where you are laying before God, kneeling before God, lifting your arms before God, but you're praying your concerns to Him in everything. It's a time of worship. Ralph Spalding Cushman's words, I think, about this kind of prayer in worship are helpful. He writes, I met my God in the morning when my day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were in distress. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind, when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned through many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. To be able to go to the Father in those early morning hours and to lay your request before Him and to let Him and His presence guide you throughout the troubled waters of the day because every day has some kind of troubles, some kind of difficulties. 
If we allow that, then all of a sudden things begin to change because our focus is upward and he speaks to us inwardly and brings that sense of peace no matter what. Secondly, we're to talk to God about our personal needs as well. The King James Version uh, translates this term petition. The NIV says supplication. Basically, it means to pray about our personal needs, the things that are really concerning to us. Some believers think that we ought to pray for the church. We ought to pray for the missionaries. We ought to pray for the preacher. We ought to pray for everybody else in the world. But we should not concern God with our own needs. We shouldn't trouble him because he's just got too much on his plate. It's not that important. They think it's too selfish. They think it's too self-centered to pray for personal needs. But I'm here to tell you it is not. Every personal concern that we have concerns our Heavenly Father. And He's a big God. And He's almighty. And He is sovereign. And He cares about every single concern that you have. If He knows in this world every single bird that falls to the ground, and knows the number of hairs on each of our heads at any given time, then I think that he probably cares about you and what worries you. That's the kind of compassionate God that we have. And so personal needs, I think, it's critical. First Peter 5, 7, which is an adaptation of Psalm 55, 22, says, Cast all your anxiety, your worry on him because he cares for you. The scripture tells us we must go before him with our personal concerns and needs. doesn't mean that we don't worry about the other intercessions. Sure, we should do that. We should pray for so many other things. But you, if you're going to be the prayer warrior God wants you to be, if you're going to have the inner peace he desires you to have, then you, you've got to Lay your concerns before him and let the, him take care of them. And you trust him to take care of them. It may not always be taken care of the way that you would like for it to. You've got to let go of that as well. So you're not addressing your concerns and saying, here's God is the way that you must get it done. You're addressing your concerns and say, God, you want the best for me, and so I'm turning it over to you. And I'll accept how you help me and guide me through this process. We're to take our personal needs to him. So we're to pray in everything, anything that worries us. We're to take our personal concerns. And then Paul says, thirdly, we're to lay our requests before God. The term request emphasizes the objects which, which uh, we would be asking. Uh, Kenneth Weiss says, namely, the things requested. That's what it means. He's talking about the things that we are requesting before him. It doesn't matter how small or how large they are. We're to lay our, our requests before our Heavenly Father. Where else would we lay them? We might vent them to a friend or a family member, but that's just venting. 
He wants us to vent to him, but then to let it go at his feet, to drop them off, like laying something at the altar and saying, God, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to let you take care of this. And I'm going to stop worrying about it. Because there's, there's an end result of what I want. <coughs> when we do this, we're to do it in faith. Remembering that God's desire and God's ability are greater than our need. And we're to do it, as this poet said, remembering thou art coming to a king. With thee great petitions bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. Don't think your need is too much or your need is too small. The scripture tells us that when we come, we lay it before the Father. What does this do? What well, reminds us that he is the creator, that he's our God. And it reminds us in humility when we lay it before his feet, that we know where we can go to for our cares and our anxiety and our concerns. And we acknowledge the fact that he's going to take care of it, that he is God. And fourth, he says we're to pray with thanksgiving. You go back and you read the Psalms. I've done a couple of series on different Psalms over the last several years. They show the importance of thanksgiving and praise from the mind and the heart of the psalmist and how important it is to God. You know as well as I do that a, a thank you note for a gift received is always a thoughtful and courteous thing to do and to get because it acknowledges that we're thankful for what others have done for us. And to thank God for what he has given to us, even, even as we lay more requests before him, is a thing that he appreciates greatly. He wants that. That's why he asked for it. So you're not creating a problem for God if you continue to lay your request before him, personal or intercession for others. You're actually doing that which he desires, that fellowship, that ability to say, God, we know that you're God and you have the very best for us. So how wise would it be if we would follow the instructions of the 100th Psalm, specifically verse 45, where the psalmist said, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise to his name. I want you to reflect over this past week. Is that something that you have done consistently, continually? No matter what you have found through life, is that something that you have focused on? I think that it's important for us to pray with thanksgiving. So he says, in everything, give thanks. He says, prayer through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. Steps that we can come to a place of peace 
where God desires for us to be. And then he gives us the results. So here Paul, he highlights the problem. He lays out the solution in a very easy step-by-step process. And then he says, here's what will happen if you do this. It's a great promise. In verse 7 he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is telling us that he will help us to stay sane in an insane world. After the events of, uh, in uh, Allen, Texas yesterday, and the multitude of other violent things that have happened over these months, it seems like we live in an insane world. It's hard to make, it's hard to make, uh, it's hard to make peace with all of that. And yet, what he tells us is that the peace that he gives will transcend all of that. We can't understand it. We can't calculate it. It's interesting. You see, Jesus is good for both the sweet by and by as well as this tough here and now. He's not only going to take me to heaven when I die, but he's going to get me through tomorrow too because I entrust myself to him. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, I entrust myself to him. There are two things about the results that I think you have to see in this, in this verse. The first, they come from the heart of God. He says, and the peace of God. That's a different kind of peace than we could ever imagine anywhere else. It's a peace which belongs to God. It flows from him to us. He's got the monopoly on it. We can't conjure it up ourselves. We also find that uh, it transcends all understanding. That's an interesting term. Understanding the divine peace or explaining it to somebody who doesn't have it is absolutely impossible because it's beyond our finite minds. And that's not an excuse saying, well, we don't have to investigate it because believe me, we try. We do everything we can to try to study and say, what is this peace of God? But it can't be achieved or perceived by human intellect, no matter how smart we are, how much experience we have, how many years we have lived. It is God's faith gift to his obedient children, this peace of God. It comes only from God. And the results are powerful. He said, this peace, the peace of God, he says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard can also be translated shall garrison. It's a military term, meaning shall mount guard. He is building things up to an understanding that he is going to take care of you. We'll guard, we'll mount up. The Philippians could relate to this kind of picture because they were a colony of Rome. 
And so being a colony of Rome, Roman soldiers, every day they would see them walk in the streets. They would be guarding things constantly. They had a presence there. And that presence said to the church at Philippi and to all of the members of society in Philippi, we are here to protect you and take care of you so that there should be no concern or will not hurt the citizens. And as we meet the requirements stated in these verses that Paul has spoken of, he says that God's peace, like a well-armed soldier, shall mount guard over our hearts and over our minds and keep us at peace no matter how life circumstances unfolds. And what I mean by that is even in the times of tragedy when we don't know why something has happened and evil has raised its head and we can't figure that out and it has affected us personally not just on the news but has affected somebody that we love maybe even ourselves that God still says I'm not saying that difficult things won't happen in your life what I am saying to you is that I will mount up and I will protect you and I'll take care of you no matter what circumstance happens I'm going to take care of you not only in eternity but somehow I'm going to have my peace in your mind and your heart through every single ordeal that you're going to face if you will let me I've met some people over the years that uh, they've had lifelong issues that I can't even imagine. And in the midst of their lifelong issues, their bodies don't function correctly. They have to be on a feeding tube all the time. They have to have people caring for them constantly. And that's how they live for so many years. And yet I have seen them. And they have taken this on as a ministry because they have the peace of God in these dire circumstances. And they have begun the process of not only letting God give them that peace, but reaching out to others to say, here's how you can be helped and encouraged. And so, I'm asking you today, as part of our invitation, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. I want you to reflect on where you are. Are you a person that worries constantly? Are you a person that has anxiety that's not derived from some um, imbalance, chemical imbalance in your body, but just because that's the way you're bent and you don't have that peace that God will take care of it? Or you have it, let him have it. that I'm going to ask you as you pray silently as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper that you ask God to help you 
follow these very easy steps as they're listed. This understanding that we go to him in prayer and we lay our petitions before him, our concerns. We lay them at his feet in humility to say, I'm giving them to you, God. I don't want to carry them on. My, my, my shoulders are getting too heavy. I can't do it because I want your peace because it's not something I can understand. Verna was in her 40s. She's a member of our church in Seattle. She was a nurse. I'll never forget that she developed lung cancer and smoked a day in her life. I'll never forget the day she gave her testimony before our church. And she says, I wish I could explain it to you. I know I'm going to die. But there is a peace that I have that transcends my understanding. Referring to this verse, but she was giving that real life experience. That even in the midst of knowing she was going to die, she had that kind of peace. And she couldn't explain it. She had it. And that's the kind of peace that I want you to have. And I'm asking you if you would, go before God. Plead with Him and beg Him to give you that peace. But you have to follow what the Scripture says. And as we observe the Lord's Supper today, be prepared. Be ready. And let God give you that peace. Father, as we move into this transition, this time of observing the Lord's Supper, that, Father, we would uh, realize the sacrifice that you have given. And, God, you, you allowed your son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross of Calvary. He was sinless. He was perfect. He left the glories of heaven because of his unconditional love. And he gives forgiveness to those who come to him and humbly call to him. And he gives grace and mercy. What it also shows is you care about us. And you want us to have your peace because we're your children. And so I pray that today, across this worship center, those watching on live stream that no matter what concerns we have on our heart that we god we would we would give them to you because you you desire them and we would by that action say we're going to trust you to take care of it and we just want to be used by you because you will guard our minds and our hearts so our focus is on always the main thing and being obedient to you and always serving always serving to be a light to you and compassion to others. So bring us to that place, dear God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your peace that's available. And so in this world of confusion and conflict, today, no matter whether we understand it or not, we lay our quest at your feet.
Lord, as we take the bread, we take it in remembrance of your sacrifice and your broken body. And it shows how much you care for us. It's how much you love us and you desire fellowship. So as we take this, help us to remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. Brother Al, would you lead us in prayer as we begin to observe the cup? Father, as we participate in this service, this was a command that you left for us to do and remember to remember. Thank you, Father, for your sacrifice and your body for us. We take that bread because it's the bread of life that is in your body. We thank you. Now, Lord, as so it was, the blood. We thank you, Lord, for your shared blood, for the re remission of our sin. You did it to redeem us because you love us so. And you want us to fellowship with you, and we will throughout all eternity because of your great Father, we thank you, and each time we do this, we do it in remembrance of you until you come. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.
Jesus said, drink you all of it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the time I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The scripture says that after they had finished the institution of the new covenant of the Lord's Supper, that they sang a hymn and went out. This morning, because this is, Paul, part of our invitation, I'm going to ask you if you would stand, and we are going to sing. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. If God's laid on your heart a public decision to make, then I would ask you if you would, you come. I'll be here at the front. You come and make that decision, whatever it is that God has laid upon your heart. Good, Jay. Okay. All right. Caballero. Would you rather that than Jay? Okay. All right. It's good to have y'all. We prayed about this and know that. Uh, Nancy. 
There are two sign-up sheets in the lobbies. One for the Single Onless Sisters All Women's Event this coming Thursday at 2 o'clock. You will be meeting in the CLC and you will be making table decorations that will be left there in the CLC. There will be light refreshments and just a wonderful time of fellowship. So ladies, I encourage you to participate. Tomorrow at 12 noon, also in the CLC, ladies bring your lunch for a time of fellowship at the Women's Fellowship Lunch. On the back of your bulletin, you will see that the movie matinee is on Thursday, May 25th. There's a misprint there for the lunch. It is $5 still, and there's a sign-up sheet in both lobbies for you to indicate if you would like to come for lunch. Also, just one thing for the month of May, canned veggies and fruits. You have been so generous in bringing things that go to St. Mary's Food Bank, and for the month of May, if you would bring canned veggies and fruits, we could pass those on. Thank you. Church family, we have a couple, a mom and a daughter joining today, Nora and Javiera. Did I get that right? Yeah. A lot of people call her Jay. This, these are the jewels, mom and dad, and uh, they have uh, uh, have written something that uh, that I would like to read, but I'll get my glasses out. Although the, the print is beautiful. You have great penmanship. <laughs> Dear pastor and church family, ever since we moved away from our country, Chile, we've yearned to find a spiritual family, a home where we could bond with fellow Christians. And after four years of looking around, we finally found it. And we're ready to join this family to serve the Lord in companion with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Sincerely, Javiera and Nora Jewell. That's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> All in favor of accepting them, if you'd show that by the sign I. Aye. You're against that, the sign no? I didn't think so. Uh, Javiera, you are officially the youngest member of our congregation. <laughs> Listen, uh, uh, I'm going to ask Pat. Pat's in your class. I think the prayer leader in your class. Your teacher is still on a trip, <laughs> but uh, she'll be back soon. But if you would, come and stand, stand beside Nora. And in just a few moments, uh, after we have our closing prayer, um, our folks are going to come and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship. Meaning a couple things. One is welcome to your family, your church family here. Number two, we're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead, and we look forward to it. You guys are already involved, you know, Nora, you're already singing in the choir, uh, Javiera, you're already working back in the sound booth, uh, running a lot of our, our stuff up here, and we appreciate that so much. Uh, so, just know, we are blessed with y'all, okay? All right. They're going to come around and shake your hand and tell you how much you mean to them, okay? Both of y'all. All right. Why don't you stand? We're going to have our closing prayer. Uh, Nancy? Al Jackson, who is our deacon chairperson, will be leading us in our closing prayer. 
he and Wilma will be taking off next Thursday to be away from us for a while. So I know that they would appreciate your travel safety prayers. Come ahead, Al, please. Take your name, sir. Father God, we are just so blessed. So blessed that we can gather here today to hear from you, to hear your word today, to be reminded of the memorial service, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. We have so much to shout about, sing about, and praise you about. But Lord, just thank you for your everlasting love, that you loved us so, so much that you sacrifice your son, your dearly beloved son. And we could think about it like this, Father, that you loved us with the same love that you have for your son. That is so mind-boggling. But we thank you, Father. Thank you for the dear souls that came forward today to be part of this church family. Today, Lord, like we all are adopted children of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are our Father, Father, and we thank you. That's why we call you our Father. So we pray as we leave here that we will rejoice and remember, Lord, that we are to stay focused on you. And say in your word, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And so, Father, you want us to think on those things that is true, honest, pure, admirable, and lovely. And then, Father, you will, we have that perfect peace. Now go with us today and before until we meet again. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Amen.